Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, this is Six Degrees with Mike McKenna, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. This episode, I'm joined by former NHL goaltender and current TV analyst of the Boston Bruins, Andrew Raycroft. If you like the show, please subscribe and rate on iTunes, Spotify, all the streaming channels. You can always find me at Mike McKenna 56 on all the socials. Happy to interact, happy to hang out and talk. Speaking of talking, let's talk about the Super Bowl. Whew. Tom Brady does it again. Heartbreaker for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. But you know what? Football might be over. But the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL, they're all in full swing. And the only place you should be betting on these sports is at betonline.ag. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, reality TV. Place your bets at betonline.ag. They have hundreds of props and real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. Of course, listen, that 24-hour online casino, that thing never closes. So head to the website, use your mobile device, sign up today, receive your 50% Welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now that you got your bets squared away, let's kick it over to Andrew Raycroft. Doing some great work in the Boston area, covering the Boston Bruins games, analyst. Love what he does. A lot of fun to talk to him. Careers crossed over a little bit. Well, basically, let's be honest. I backed up and I watched him play. But in any case, Andrew Raycroft. All right, Razor. Thanks for joining me on Six Degrees with Mike McKenna. Really appreciate your time. Where's your current location these days? What are you up to? I'm in Boston, Mass. So i from Belleville, Ontario. Married a, a Boston girl. Uh, Foxborough, actually, home of the Patriots. And if anyone from New England knows, Boston girls don't leave. Uh, so I was... Uh, you had no choice. <laughs> no choice. There was no way we were going back to Canada. No way we were going anywhere else. So You had no uh, desire to go back to Belleville? I love Belleville. I love it. But no, I would probably not somewhere where we really wanted to set roots. So especially me, uh, maybe even more so than Aaron. Uh, maybe when we get real old and, and retire, we'll go back that way. But uh, so, yeah, so in the Boston area, love it here. Three kids, great place to, to grow up. It's similar to similar to Belleville, you know, on a bigger scale, but similar neighborhood, walk to school, all that stuff. So uh, enjoying life with the kiddos. I got about a month and a half in Belleville before I ended up in Ottawa. And first I was surprised that it ended up being an American league team, considering that the OHL team left because they weren't supported. Um, but man, like super, super nice people. And it, that's yeah. the one memory I have is just how we may not have been there long. And for a lot of the time I was away in Ottawa, but my family was there and just how nice everybody was taking care of my family while I was gone. Seemed like a great place to grow up. It's quintessential small town and even more so when I grew up. So it, it, it was, I can't imagine having a better place to grow up and better group of friends that I have to this day from there. And, you know, wonderful high school memories and wonderful memories of the Belleville Bulls going to those games every Saturday night. We had season tickets and uh, being able to, to grow up watching junior hockey was a big influence. So it, it sucked when the Bulls left. Uh, too bad they couldn't have figured out the rink issue prior to that. Cause yeah, I for sure the, the, the town really misses it, but it's good to have good to have pro hockey there. I got to the Sens game. I don't know if it was the first season or the second and, and yeah, it's not full yet. It hasn't really caught on. I think people are still a little upset that they don't have that community junior feel. It's a little different. Like, you know, guys in and out yeah. moving around all the time, but 
I think now when we get out of this pandemic, people will be clamoring to get into that building just to, to switch things up. So it's, it's a great, great city, great town. All my family's still there. So we, we're back there three, four times a year. Were you the hot prospect coming out of Belleville? Not I mean, at you, all. You, you, that's, I know that that area is not exactly the first thing on the radar of Toronto, uh, but you did get out of town by 16. So what was your progression yeah. like in youth hockey? Certainly. And we've, we've produced a lot of guys, a lot of guys from the Quinny Red Devils is the team there they have, they're cranking out draft picks to this day into the OHL. I was a seventh round pick OHL. So I was a smaller guy, didn't grow early. Uh, I played triple A hockey all the way up, but never a stud always shared with the other goalie never made an under 17 team. There was always two or three other goalies in our loop that were considered better than I was at least, at least. And, uh, caught a break, played tier two in Wellington, which is right across the bridge from, from my hometown and, uh, played well enough, got drafted. But I, again, I was a seventh round pick to the OHL. So, uh, anyone listening, most people listening, you know, that that means absolutely nothing. I, right. I got a covering <laughs> A Sudbury Wolves hat in the mail. They didn't even pay for my bus ticket up there for training camp. So I think I was a 14th rounder to Owen Sound as a flyer because they knew I was going to college, but they yeah. did it anyway. I didn't even get a hat. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So I think the 10 round is the, the limit on the hat. They got a, they got a, budget. <laughs> they got budget caps, <laughs> budget. So, so I went up to Sudbury on a, on a whim and I, I, the coach there, the assistant coach there was the one who drafted me. I played against him in tier two and, I felt comfortable and went in and Steve Valiquet, the big Valbowski was the, the overage goalie there, uh, made the team and Valley ended up spraining his ankle playing basketball right before the season. And I was able to play the first six weeks, five weeks of the season. And that got my name onto central scouting. And, and once you get on that list, you, you kind of get watched the rest of the season. But uh, again, a fifth round NHL or again, not a, not a massive prospect by any means at that point. Isn't it funny how injuries can lead to things? At first, you called him the like, the big Valvoski. Is that what you said? Like the wrestling the reference? Cat. Oh, there's all kinds of it. He was oh, the best. man. I mean, he was the best when he was 20 to a 17 year old kid. Like he was good the best goalie then. partner. He, he's still the best now, but he he was. He, you know, there's a lot of 20 year old goalies who aren't the best to 17 year old yep. kids, especially back then. But but he was he was awesome, amazing, and uh, it was great being there with him. I got my first break really in the American league and playoffs, even though I'd been there most of the season, we picked up JSO band, your old teammate in Toronto. Oh, yeah. Well, Obes, Obes rolls his ankle in <laughs> soccer before the game. And they're like, Hey, you got to go. You're going in. And then he tried to like power through the warmup. I got like four shots in warmup. And next thing you know, I'm going in second round of playoffs in the American league thinking, Oh God, I'm over my head here. Uh, yeah. You mentioned being a fifth round pick. I'm a I'm a sixth round pick. But I constantly hear this from people in media talking about how fourth, fifth, sixth round, they're late draft picks, they're beating the odds. Like, isn't that kind of ridiculous, especially for goalies, considering that there's always a big run of us kind of in that in that territory, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth round? You certainly, there's the the first, you know, the one guy that gets drafted in the first round every other year. And, and that's the, it, it, precisely that's where guys are getting drafted now. They're not wasting draft capital early. And so, so yes, you go through the league. Most of the guys that make it are, are guys that are drafted fourth, fifth. That just means that, you know, that they're, they're probably fifth goalie picked. And then that, if you break it down, that you're the one of the five goalies at your age in the world, maybe you're not that much of a flyer. Maybe you're not that much yeah. of a long shot at that point. Right. 
Yeah. I mean, cause you might, you know, every team usually takes one to three goalies a draft. They may wait until the fourth round to take a goaltender. Like that's yeah, and even that, that's normal. every other year, right? For the most part, if you have a guy that's decent in your organization, you're not going to get a goalie every year. So, so correct. It's not like a, a left winger that they're taking three a draft every year. So, you, you, you know, that loads up your roster or the yeah. depth chart. But whereas a goalie, I know for me, and again, we're talking 20 years ago now, 22 years ago when I was drafted, but the Bruins didn't have anybody in their pipeline. It was John Graham was their third goalie at that time and literally no one else. So for me getting drafted by the Bruins in the fifth round, I was actually, I was pretty far up the depth chart immediately yeah. uh, to your point. So when you went to Sudbury, you spent a couple of years there. Um, I mean, it's not terribly far, but then you end up in Kingston. That's close to Belleville. Like, yeah. did you, were you buzzing home on the 401 with those awful snowy drives pretty often, or even like living at home and commuting? What was it like for you in junior? I, I moved to Kingston. I, I did go back and forth a little bit, but that was my last year. So my buddies had all left for university. So everyone had dispersed that year. So it, it were, it was, it was for the best too. I, you know, I would have, I, I would have been going back and forth probably yeah. too much. Had my friends all been there. So and that's a shitty drive. Sometimes I was doing it between oh, Ottawa boy. and Belleville. Like yeah. for the, the time I was with the Sens. And man, some of the scariest drives ever, like we land at midnight and I'm trying to drive to see my family at two in the morning and it's snowing. That's an awful stretch of highway. Oh, if you get, you get a little lakefront snow effect pushing through there, it can be, it can, that 45 minute drive turns into four hours and and a half. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah, It's ugly. The first time I think I ever heard your name. And again, I'm a St. Louis kid. So we're totally off the radar of major junior at the time. And this is, you know, the mid nineties, right? Nobody from St. Louis has ever made it, but I remember reading goalie world magazine and I saw your name because you'd been playing really well. And you may even been at like the top of their rankings. And despite being a fifth rounder, it seemed like you had some juice behind you coming out. And especially like you said, there wasn't a lot in the Boston organization. So when you turned pro, were you thinking, all right, I got a real shot at this at the NHL level, or were you expecting more so to have to kind of bide your time and get that opportunity? So I, yeah, I, so when I got to Kingston, everything really fell into place. I had a bad second year in Sudbury and, and then that, that third year of junior um, stars aligned CHL goalie, the MVP of the OHL. Right. I, I, I nailed it. And so coming out, I had a lot more confidence than I did 12 months prior in, in my pro career. Uh, certainly didn't expect to play right away in the NHL, but another ankle injury from John Graham uh, teed me up to, to be on the opening day roster. And then uh, a hamstring injury two nights later, I'm, I'm in my first start, third game in of the NHL season that year. So to your point of injuries, I, I was, I w- it was favorable for me very early in, in my career, certainly professionally to get, to get my look and get my chance and, and get my NHL game. You know, you get that NHL start where, yeah. you know, at that 20 years old, you're, they're never taking that from you. Was it daunting that you had Pat Burns and Mike Keenan behind the bench? Oh man. Pat Burns was, was, was scary in a, in a good way. <laughs> Mike Keenan was just, he was just, he was just mean. He was just a bad, like he just destroyed. He was mean to people. He was mean to me. He was, he wasn't uh, ideal where Pat Burns was the opposite. He was, he was the, 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 the police officer, but he was sensitive enough to the fact that I was 20 years old. And uh, certainly he loved to yell at me. I don't think he knew my name. He called me kid all the time. Hey kid. (laughs) 
hey, kid, you need to do this, kid. You need to do this, kid. But he'd stay on the ice after practice with me. He would do drills with me uh, early on. And uh, it was, it's, I, I have those memories of, of Pat Burns being a, a scary guy, an intimidating person, but someone that, you know, I think he had my best interest. I didn't realize that Jerry Cheevers was still involved, at least on the paper as a goalie coach. There was a big transition between the 90s and the early 2000s between the old guard guys who played to goalie coaches nowadays. Like we know of people that didn't play at all, but they studied the position. It's very analytical, technical. What did you take from Jerry Cheevers? What was he like as a goalie coach for you? Cheesy's a legend here in Boston, just a, an old school, a blast. Uh, so, so I actually had Brian Accord my first year pro. So I, and he's a technical, you know, he was in, yeah. he was energetic. He's the current, uh, he's the head of the goalie department for Phoenix now for Arizona. Correct. I apologize. Yeah. So he's all in. And especially back then he was really young, really eager. He was coming to Providence and helping me and staying long after Providence practices, which, you know, you don't, you, you don't see a guy uh, back in the day when there was just one in the American league. Yeah. I didn't have a full-time goalie coach until I was like 30 in 2013. Yeah. And he, he was, so he was a boss. He was Boston's guy, but he was coming down still. He was doing yeah. both. He was all over the place. Um, That's the benefit of having your affiliate really close too. Eh? Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah. It's a 40 minute drive. So, and then he left, he was, he, uh, whether it was one year or two years and then cheesy came back again. So cheesy was around, he'd come and visit me in Sudbury and Kingston. When I was doing well, you, they, you know, as you know, they start bringing more guys in to watch you and sure. you know, cheesy came in and I got to meet him and, and then Oh three, he was there. And, and that's kind of when I stepped in and, you know, it was a more a matter of him coming in and telling an old story and hanging out and while you're icing a knee and then just skating around on the ice and then get off the ice, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. maybe, maybe a few, you should stand up more there. You should stand up more there comments. And, and that was it. So it's uh, funny with those guys though. I think that even though they may not grasp today's technical game i do think from the mental side of it they understood and they could be helpful in that way so helpful as a younger guy especially not and for cheesy it was more a matter of who can you know no big deal just win the game just win don't worry anything else and, and there was a lot of and that's how cheesy was he all the old guy cat wayne cashman was the other assistant they'd be telling stories about cheesy winning six five it didn't matter uh grant fear was the same way when i talked to him Absolutely. Most important thing. Jersey. Yeah. He's the best to talk to uh, oh, yeah. about seven, six wins or losses and the, the you know, awesome, but uh, cheesy, similar to that. And, and that's, you know, as a young guy, that meant a lot to me. Uh, so to, to your point, the, the mental side, those guys add a lot of value. They have a lot of hockey sense. They understand the game. They understand it. They might not recognize it the same way, but they, they get it. So when you were a young guy, when you were in college or college, listen to me, I can't yeah, get out of that uh, mode. Right. So uh, when you were in junior and those first couple of years, you mentioned Accord, was he really who got your fundamentals where you wanted him to be your technical side, or did you have other help along the way from goalie coaches? So my first, my first big jump in that was John Elkin. Uh, he's now in Toronto, AHL goalie coach. He's he, I met him when I was 16. He's in the Toronto area, right. When I got drafted OHL and, uh, I went there. That was the first real non summer camp goalie quasi school that I'd gone to. And that's where I lo really learned slides and pushes and more of that Francois Lair style, uh, right. maybe a little bit of a hybrid where John was, but, but that's where that 1996, that's what was coming down the pipe was 
And that really propelled me, you know, it put me ahead. When I got to the NHL, I had been doing that stuff where it was just catching on. Byron Defoe wasn't sliding. He wasn't doing butterfly pushes at that point. And uh, I was able to do all that. I was moving around, you know, after three years with John at a high level. Do you think that's really what set you up for that rookie of the year? I mean, you win rookie of the year, but I also look at the fact that you played significant NHL games before you really cracked yeah. the league full time. So do you think it was kind of a hybrid of having that, that really good understanding of the position on top of just having some experience before you got thrown into the deep end? Yeah. The, the, the rookie of the year was that, yeah, I'd already played three years of pro. I had played in the NHL those three seasons prior, you know, at least two games every year, you know, I think I went 15, two, and then eight. So I was really just right under that rookie limit and and i stayed in boston that summer that that's really what set it up was that mike sullivan came was the coach in providence he moved up so we moved up together i i changed my gear to coho um as goalie i this does i don't bring this up but that made a big difference what were you in previously to that i was in the ccm stuff so i was a little smaller on me i wasn't a big guy to begin with the coho works perfect as blocking you know is that that ccm like the old like gatekeeper stuff like marty had the i didn't style. use the gatekeeper it was the other one um that that was like the heaton i i wore heaton in junior so it just they went from heaton to ccm gotcha. um so i had a gear change and i stayed in boston that whole year worked out with the strength guy got strong got bigger and just proved the commitment level so that year they brought felix in but there was no it was it was felix and i and we i was as close to being on the team as an AHL guy can be going right. into that season. And that, that built confidence for me. And I, I was comfortable at that point being yeah, around I mean, everybody. You didn't have Timmy Thomas there. You didn't have John Graham. You didn't have Kay Whitmore. Like there was a lot of goalies that filtered through. Yeah. Timmy was younger. there my third year. And then, and then he left and went to Europe at that time. Uh, so that was my last year in Providence. It was Timmy and I. Was he as legendary like before games as, as I've heard? I heard he had a cheeseburger every night before a game. Is there any truth to that? I I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I would believe it. I, I didn't see him <laughs> actually physically eat the cheeseburger, but certainly in the minors, he was, uh, you know, more than it wasn't um, a specimen, I guess I would say. <laughs> it's funny now that Kay Whitmore is the Zara all goalie gear, right? I know. You got to be his teammate. Winter was my first, yeah, he was the first guy in Providence with me, him and I. And yeah, I learned a lot from Winter. He loved wine, loved going to dinner and cooking. As a 20-year-old guy, you don't know what any of that stuff is. So going on the road with him was was always a blast. And and now, yeah, it was always funny once they made him the equipment guy for him to show up and measure my gear after games. We always had a big, big laugh about that. You think he ever got any leniency because of it? No, we can't accuse him of those things, right? No, exactly. He's still in a big position. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, you know, start that rumor, but no, I'm, I'm sure he was by the book. He had those wood calipers. He was yep. going up and down the same as everyone else. Well, your coho gear, you mentioned that being a turning point, bigger stuff, right? I think that was the 580 line yeah. black and gold, like a pretty iconic setup, man. Like, were you, a, were you big into your equipment? Did it matter to you one, how you looked and how it fit and perform? Were you dialed with it? I was, I didn't change a lot. 
I, I loved, but I fell in love with the co stuff right away. And I, I always regret not doing it earlier. I, I, all the Quebec guys had it. I had my CCM thing going. I like, you know, I liked being a little different with that because right. everyone was going to Coho, but I should have gone earlier. And it was I think all made I, by Lafave, who was French Canadian. So all the Quebec yeah, guys. Yeah, those guys all had it. Like that was like everybody in the Quebec Major Junior League had it. And I was wearing heat and still like, you know, I, I don't need to do that. Um, but I should have. I, I think I would have played in the NHL the year before had I have. You know, wow. had, you think it made that big of a difference, huh? I think it did. Yeah, it, it was bigger. It was sturdier. And, and I, it gave me more confidence. There's no question. Yeah. So at, at least the pads, you know, I look back at the pictures in the AHL with my CCM pads and compare it to the, you know, two months later and co-hos it. It made a big difference. Um, but that's I mean, that's easy for me to say 20 years later, too. Right. It's all yeah. it's, a fish, it's a fish story at this point. Um, and yeah, I, I, I love the colors. I was always a color guy. I liked having the colors. I loved, you know, all most of my sets until really at the end, I, I stayed away from white uh, or all white anyways. Uh, I, I just liked having the color and, and yeah, it's, it's comical now with Instagram and people are, you know, being so old school. Now people are going back to those kits and, and I get lumped, in, which is, which is kind of cool. It was never really the, the idea at the time, but uh, I get a kick out of it now. Well, we all wore color. We all wore dark equipment and colorful equipment back then. Like that was the whole point, right? That no was exactly. We're goalies. goalies. We're going to yeah. show off our personalities. Like, do I you know. buy into the white theory that everybody's on now? Like, you had your best season in yeah. black equipment. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I I don't mind the idea of having the white border. I don't mind Clark Ian Clark. I had Ian. I love Ian. Yeah, I had him in Columbus as well. Yeah, I love him. Uh, really thoughtful and you know i like the like i like markstrom going white all the way around and then having a bunch of color in the middle mm -hmm. uh, do i think it makes a difference at the end of the day probably not you still have to make the save right it's the same inch it's the same inch it's all about like you know it's a matter of what you where you read the shot and and how you read the play at the end of the day uh, but, but I don't mind the white border, but I, to go all white, it, you know, it kind of pains me at times. Yeah. So you come Especially off when you have so many options now, like oh. the guys do whatever they want. I mean, you can literally print. I mean, so I'm, I'm in Vegas and yeah. last year, you know, I, they'd occasionally wheel me out for practice last season. Right. I'm, I'm right out of the league. I'm a current guy for the most part, but I'm the broadcaster now. And yeah, like, perfect. Yeah, the day Fleury needed some time off, it's like, hey, we got to call Mike in. So I'd practice every couple of weeks. And I remember I called up Bauer and I'm like, hey, like, I look like an idiot out here. Can you help me out? Because my gear didn't match, right? I had like a Sens mask and some just white stuff. And you're like, okay. And I'm like, design anything you want. Because this is, this is Vegas. And these are never going to be used in a game. I'm like, just, you can even throw the guys from the hangover on there, you know? <laughs> and it was almost like the guys at Bauer couldn't even like wrap their head around the fact that I wanted something completely outrageous just so they could do it. You know, yeah. like it's the, the possibilities are endless. Now it's, it's almost kind of frustrating, isn't it? That the guys don't take advantage of it at times. No, you're right. The, the white is, it, it's such a Debbie downer in, in comparison to, to even, you know, what Leonard's rocking, you know, that's cool yeah. stuff. So that that season ends you're just like on top of the world and the lockout and it's 2004 or five. Did you have any opportunity to play anywhere besides Europe? Could you have gone to the American league if you wanted to, what led to you going to Finland for that season? Yeah, they, they, they offered, you know, for me to go to back to the AHL. Um, I had done that three years. Uh, yeah. I rode all those buses. I 
wasn't really going to gain anything from going back. It was, it was, it was a lose, lose, you know, for me, if I go back and don't play well for whatever reason, like it doesn't go well. Uh, it, it just wasn't a, a good fit for me. I, I didn't want to go back and ride the buses. I, I kind of made a point that, uh, I, I was going to stay in the NHL and yeah. that was my mindset as 24 year old guy. So went to, you know, hung out, hoped, 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 you know, let's, we're going to play, we're going to, you know, and then Christmas time, it's all right, you know, let's figure something out. So actually signed in Sweden first and they ended up having a rule that you needed to be on a contract. And I did not have a contract because I was a restricted free agent. So at the last second, I'm, my bags are packed. I'm flying to Stockholm the next day. They called and like, we can't, you can't come and play. Uh, and that was like two weeks before Christmas going to go play in Jir Garden, start like the best setup ever, which was, and so it ended up being really disappointing. And then Finland came along. It was Finland or Austria. And I ended up going to Finland um, and loved it there. So li li lived in Tampere. What a great experience. First time I'd been to Europe. First time I played over there. Uh, just, just fell in love with the whole setup. And it, it was so, Unfortunately, I lost the season in the NHL. Unfortunately, it cost a lot of money. Unfortunately, I didn't get to keep the momentum going in my career. I would have done anything or would do anything to have played that year, stayed in Boston all summer, worked out every single day at the rink, you know, had an apartment set up, had a car, had everything teed up, had my girlfriend who's now my wife, like everything would have been, it would have been the best summer of my entire life, which kind of got tossed in the air. But I made the best of it in Finland and, and had a cool experience. I've talked to a lot of people that went through that period, but not a lot of younger guys at that time. And I'm curious for someone like you that, you know, you get to the league, you, you got a little momentum going. Were you involved at all in the CBA negotiations, in the lockout itself? Did you, did you get involved in the union side at all? And was there any resentment to the players who did and not being able to get to an agreement earlier? There was no resentment. I, I wasn't on the interior. I wasn't in the big meetings, but I went to every, every meeting in Toronto. I was on planes back and forth. You know, I was keeping my finger on it. It, it meant a lot. And yeah, you I were engaged. I, you know, I mean, I was talking, I was, Bob Goodnow, uh, his son played against me growing up. So I had known Bob a little bit and I talked to Bob quite a bit. You know, these, this is what I have, Bob. You know, I'd call him and try and get 10 minutes out of him during, you know, where are we? Should I go to Europe? You know, is this going to happen? And, you know, it, it always ended up being, you know, I don't think we're playing Razor. You know, it was always that. And, and we're going to do our, you know, the best and blah, 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 blah. Um, so, so I tried to stay involved, but I certainly wasn't one that was moving a needle at that point. And, and, and now we know the stories even more so, the back rooms that was going on at that time, right. which is um, a little more, I guess it's a little resentful that that all happened, but it seemed as though that was going to, it was going to go one way that way, no matter what, even if we had perfect unity as a union, uh, there was not going to be a season that year. So I guess I always looked at it. Good thing. I had the season I had that the year before, rather than, you know, lining up my perfect year when there was no NHL coming out of the lockout your team went from being great in Boston to being terrible in Boston. And this is the existential question for goaltenders. I know that your season isn't what you wanted. I'm sure people in Boston would probably agree with that. We've all been there as goalies before, but realistically with the lineup, you guys iced and what was going on, 
How much better do you think you could have performed that year above what your statistics say if it had been a better club on the ice? You know, I was I was never going to touch the numbers I had prior to the lockout. That that's out of the question. I could have been better. I should have been better. Uh, you know, I had again. I I proved it. Uh, I had done it before. I, I but yeah, we got into a funk, and, and Joe gets traded, and I don't even know who our defense were, and and that's not a slight on any of those guys. You know, I don't want to do that, but I I don't remember anybody playing well on that team. You know, it was Patrice might have you know hung in, did enough to stick around, but but even that, we just didn't have a very good team, and and we got smoked on a nightly basis. We were not prepared, and uh, as a goaltender, when that's going downhill, and. And again, I was already dealing with the lingering stuff. You know, I didn't, I was holding out a little. They weren't really doing a great job with my con. They weren't really rewarding me. I felt like I was getting slighted there. I felt, you know, the momentum of my off season, everything was kind of going backwards on me all of a sudden. And I hadn't really dealt with that for a few years. So I didn't deal with it as well as I should have. I should have been better. I should have been better prepared. But at the same time, we weren't getting into the playoffs, no matter how well I played. Did you feel like the change in the style of play in the NHL affected you? There was a lot of power plays and I think yes, in the fact that it didn't necessarily, it changed my, my mindset didn't change. So I didn't go with the flow and say, all right, two goals used to be good. Now it's three goals is good. Three goals is good. And, and deal with that. Instead, I would get frustrated giving those up and I, I couldn't change the mindset of, uh, the power plays and mm-hmm. I couldn't change my mindset on fight, you know, fighting through more screens or fighting East to West a little bit more. I wanted the game to stay the same way as it was. I was comfortable there and I didn't fight through the, the differences and the new changes more between my head than anything else. Oh, and equipment too. Like, did yeah. you think that going from 12 to 11 and the smaller blocker and smaller gloves, did, the, did that have an effect on you in any way? Well, what happened too, even more different than that didn't, I don't think that the size changed too much, but I changed, it went, Reebok went full right. on change. It, it basically, the, the best way to describe it now is going from a CCM extreme to uh, Bauer, you know, ultra, that, that, that was the difference. They went straight flat, uh, really stiff from those cushy cohos. So I would, I, sh- I probably should have fought a little bit more to keep the cohos um, or, even I should have changed earlier. I should have put the cohos or the Reeboks on right away. In Forced the yourself to wear these things instead of yeah. kind of hold on to the past. Doing it the last second. Like when I was yeah. in Finland, I kept the cohos. I had a pair of Reeboks, but I was like, ah, I don't feel as comfortable. No big deal. You know, I'll get these. I'll get to these in the summer when I should have just jumped in. And again, yeah. that's a mindset. You know, I wanted to stay comfortable. I wanted to stay, uh, and and I should have just changed and dealt with it and figured out how they work for me. It was like that when Bauer made the first Supreme, like that, the Odin or 1S, I guess. Remember when it came out five years ago with the elastic strapping, lightweight, all that. And I remember getting one of the first demo sets. Like Bauer was really good to me my whole career. And they uh-huh. sent me this demo set and I put it on. And I'm like, man, this is different. I know this is different. But I could also tell why I was going to be better if I wore it. And I switched mid-season after like a week in practice. But I, I knew I just had to mentally tell myself, this is going to work. You have to stick with it. Yeah. And it did like it eventually I adapted to it and it, it improved my game. I got better when I wore something that was more modern at 32 years old. And, and that's the reason for it being more modern. The technology does work. It's, 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 it's accepting it. And uh, I probably should have had your mindset more than I had at the time. 
So the big trade, how did this feel going home? I mean, I'm guessing you were a Toronto Maple Leafs fan as a kid. Correct wow. me wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Patrick Waugh, Canadians. Okay. Oh, All right. So. so did that add a layer to this trade going to the Leafs? And also you did have experience, at least in a really tough market in Boston. Do, do you think that going into it, you're thinking, okay, I've been through Boston. I can handle anything. I can handle Toronto media. I'm ready for this. I did think that, and I, I got slapped in the face probably after the first exhibition game when I was up oh, there, that recognizing that this is a different different animal. And uh, you go in, oh, it's Toronto, it's Canada. Everyone's really educated. They're going to see all the nuance of the game. And, you know, and then you're like, uh, maybe not. Maybe it's uh, wins, losses, doesn't matter, and don't give up any goals. Uh, so that, 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 you know, definitely is different. The media in Boston and Toronto is always going to be different. It's never going to be the same as tough as Boston can be at times. Uh, the trade, it was, it was perfect. I mean, I was so excited to be going from one original six to the next to knowing what it means to be a Toronto Maple Leaf in Canada and, and certainly in Ontario. All my buddies lived in Toronto. Uh, my family's an hour and a half away. Uh, it was, it was perfect. It was, it was exciting. I was pumped and, and then you get a three-year deal out of it there too. So Everything was, it was such a good switch and a, a great mindset change for me from getting out of Boston. As excited as you were, was there added pressure out of it? I didn't feel it right away. I didn't feel it. I, I was, I was excited. I, I was excited by a, a great new opportunity. I knew again, I knew it, what it, maybe I didn't fully know, but I, I thought I knew what I was getting into with, you know, how, you're the starting goalie of the Leafs. Everybody in Canada now knows who you are. And, and no one, you know, you can be an NHLer and everyone knows what it's like to, you know, you're an NHLer in Canada, but if you're on a Canadian team and a starting goalie on a Canadian team and a starting goalie on the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, it's a different animal. Going to lunch and going to dinner is a lot different than what it is when you're a Boston Bruin and you're, you're going to lunch and dinner in Toronto. So that, I don't know whether it was your first year or your second, but the mask you had in Toronto that had all the legends on it, was that your idea? I, I can't remember the artist for it. So if you could help yeah. me with that, that was an absolutely gorgeous mask. How did you come up with the concept for us? It was, and I actually did come up with that myself. I, uh, Cipra did it. Uh, I was Frank Cipra. Frank did it. Frank was amazing. He did the thing, my, my ITEX in Boston as well. I told Frank I wanted I wanted the guys that are honored, um, and I mean he hit the thing out of the park. So I could never have expected the detail he put on that. The it's 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 awesome, and so so yeah, I gave him the I want the garden on the top. I want you know I want Felix on there. I want Paul Matier. I want Johnny Bauer, George Armstrong. You know all of these guys. I want them on there and and go for it and. Uh, yeah, he nailed it. And it's, I, I love now where other people put those on their masks. You know, all the guys are doing that around the league all the time. Now that was one of the first tribute masks. I was right. the first one to do it. I really was. And yeah. uh, so that's pretty cool. I did the same thing when I got to Jersey. Um, Lindsay Middlebrook was a guy who was my goalie coach. I went to his camps in St. Louis and he probably played three dozen games in the NHL, about the same as me, ironically enough okay. and fellow full right goalie. But, you know, Lindsay played for the Devils, and that's what I remembered as a kid. And I'm like, I want to put him on one side. I'm going to put Chico Rush on the other, and it's going to be great. Yeah. And that was 20, you know, 9 or 11, 2010. 
mean, it yeah. wasn't as popular now. And you really set the tone for that, man. Uh, yeah. That season, you win 37 games and set a franchise record. I know there's shootouts involved, but I don't care. You played almost every game for Paul Maurice, 72 total. What does it take for a goalie to be considered successful in Toronto? Is, is the standard simply a Vezina and a Stanley Cup or a Vezina and a Conn Smythe? Is there anything below that that can be acceptable for a goalie there? I don't think so. You, you got to get in the playoffs. I didn't get in the playoffs. That's, that's the, that's the, that'll always be the biggest regret. Uh, I, I think that might change. But then the you game. make the playoffs. If you lose in the and first then you round, look, who but, are they going to blame? Well, no. And that's, and I was just, yeah, you, you're right. You finished my thought because you look at what Freddie has to deal with now. I mean, the guy's lights out. He's as talented, as skilled, as facing as many shots as anyone in the league. Easy top third goaltender in the league in the Absolutely. world. Absolutely. And he gets in the playoffs. They, they, he plays well in the playoffs. They don't get over game seven humps against a great Boston Bruins team. And he stinks, right? What are we going to do with this guy? Yeah, Let's got to get rid of him. We need somebody yeah, else. Someone else. So, so I, I, yeah, I guess, I mean, Johnny Bowers, you know, the standard con, you know, whatever he <laughs> did, you know, you're looking at 50 years ago, uh, Johnny, you, Johnny Bauer would, would have won. Uh, so it, it's a tough spot that way. It's certainly the, they actually, expectation probably isn't realistic on a normal basis they've never had a Vezina trophy winner i don't think so don't like for them remember. to expect it every year you know i get it in montreal uh you know th that's that's a factory but but not in not in toronto second year things go <laughs> they go the other direction even more i mean yeah. were you just mentally swimming at that point yeah. trying to yeah. get your footing done i was gone and i was gone the day again that playoff missing that playoff uh, that summer was, was awful. I, I put so much into that and it puts it's your heart and soul. You've played every game, man. No, I, it was literally everything I had. I dragged my ass pat over the finish line. The last few games, I, I like, I was mentally, emotionally just done and then not to make it. And then to take, take the shit. And, uh, it, it, I just couldn't, I couldn't recover. And, and I, that's, I should have went, I needed the sports psychologist right then and there. That's, that's the, the, those days um, you see guys do it now and they bounce back and they find their keywords and they find their key thoughts. I didn't have any of those. Uh, Vesta comes in. I wasn't, I wasn't able to compete at the level I should have mentally. And, and I, it, it just down downward spiral. I think I played, I got a win the first, you know what? I think I, we went to overtime the first game, maybe won the third game. And then I, I, I couldn't play anymore. It was like, I had no idea uh, what I was doing. And, and that spiraled really fast in a market like that. And in a place where I really did give a lot, uh, I, it was hard for me. So how'd you flip the script? You get to Colorado and you go nine and one. Yeah, it was, it was similar from new scenery. Felt like the pressure was off felt motivated. I uh, felt I really wanted to prove. Um, and, and we had a good team in Colorado too. I mean, Joe Sackick was still healthy. Milan Hayduke, Adam Foote, Darcy Tucker came. So I had some comfort there. Uh, I, I remember going and being like, wow, this team's really, really talented uh, compared to, to what we had prior. So, um, and again, I didn't, I didn't play two games in a row. I don't think through those 10 and one victories either. I, I was, I was backing up and I would go in and I, I lost the first game and then I ripped off nine in a row uh, and just really got on a roll. And, and just, we, we petered out, we had injuries and, and that same, it just didn't, couldn't finish and, and, you know, would have loved to have done that.
Did you miss having Brian McCabe as a teammate? I know he threw some pretty legendary things when you're in Toronto. A New York Jets game I heard about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Caber's the best. He, I still talk to him often. He was such a good teammate, and everyone says it everywhere he was. He's just a great person, great, great family guy, always super nice to my wife, and, and now my kid's just a, a great guy, even though he scored on me on a four on three in overtime that he, he could never live down in <laughs> Toronto. You know, it's like unbelievable what he got shit for. <laughs> he like was he the, he was a director of player development maybe when I was with Florida and yeah. I, I'll never forget it. Like we had this thing set up where we had a, like a burger battle and I was supposed to be the chef. Right. So I come up with this concept and we go and we compete against other chefs in Springfield, Massachusetts and Caber shows up <laughs> and, he, and like, he's like, the whole team's coming. I'm like, Oh Wait. yeah. And so he, he opened a tab and it was like a Tuesday night. Right. So we didn't play till Friday. He opens a tab for the whole team. And it was one of the best memories I had. And he's like, you know, he's happier than shit. Cause he's like yeah. hosting this thing. Right. And he's having yeah. a great time. Takes the Uber home. Like, at, but I, I think that those type of players are just so, and, and people in management too, are just so critical for success of a team. Lots more to come with the 2004 NHL rookie of the year, Andrew Raycroft. But first I want to tell you, I'm doing some online coaching with 44visionhockey.com, having a blast doing it. Games get uploaded through Live Barn or Hockey TV. It's really, really good for amateur hockey, for junior hockey, college hockey. You can put those clips in and we break them down. I go through everything and I take some of those clips, put them on your player page. You can always reference back to those, kind of like Cliff's Notes, you know, it's like the bullet points of what you need. But the meat of what we do is in the Zoom meeting, one-on-one, face-to-face. I take what I learned playing from all the goalie coaches that I had and we transfer it to your game. So it's a fun way to do it. It's interactive. We get to see progress. And again, if you go to 44visionhockey.com, sign up, put me in as your coach. I'd love to work with you. More now from Andrew Raycroft. When you're playing your best, what were your feelings in the net? Probably, I mean, not, no feelings. Yeah, no just feelings. having fun, right? Just, just blank, read, react. Um, and, you know, I always just, yeah, no feelings. Like giving up a bad goal, no big deal. Making Whatever. a great save, no big deal. You know, we'll just keep, keep rolling. And... I think the other thing is, is really, really focusing on the outcome, on the win. Uh, you know, again, we did, we touched on Grand Fury. Seven, six, two, one. That's all that matters. Just find a way. All right, we're down two nothing. I can't give up another goal. You can't give up another goal. And, and having those kinds of thoughts rather than, um, all right, if I give up another one, are we going to be okay? Or, you know, where are, you know, let's, this, this power play, we can get away with this one or, you know, like just kind of not being completely dialed in on the win, uh, worrying about, all right, I've got 15 shots on the board. If I give up one, I still have a good save percentage. Those kinds of thoughts that, that can easily creep in when everything's going really well, you're just, you're, the game's over in a split second. So you're not feeling anything. You're not thinking about anything. You're just, uh, firing through it. And I, I, that's what I miss the most. I miss the playing the game and having it over before you know it or playing a period. I, I don't know if you had these feelings, but, but when 20 minutes flew by and you made 12 shots on or 12 saves on 12 shots and you're already in the dressing room and you're on to the next one, your team's up one, nothing like that is the best feeling in oh, the world. Especially your first period at the time, but, but you just like, now I miss that. That's the, that's what I miss is 
going through that game one on 30 and it feels like you, you, it was a two minute game. Does it not feel similar to now for both of us being analysts on TV, you with in for Nesset and me with Vegas and, and AT&T sports that like, is it not like just nailing a pre-show? Like yeah, where you get, first- you get all your information. You don't stutter. You look at the cameras properly and you get done with it. And you're just like, yes, that went by so fast. <laughs> yeah. When it goes by fast and it's no, it's not the same, but it is. So like, were you in that moment of Zen playing for Vancouver? And again, you had another good season you got to play with Luongo. Like I'm guessing, especially with him playing so many games, was there not a lot of pressure when you were there or did you feel it? That was the most fun I'd have. I, I, I mean, again, rookie of the year, that's amazing. But I think being a little older at that time and going through some hard stuff and, and maybe not being on teams that were, you know, really close. That was the place that I loved the most that year. I loved the most. I, I loved Ian Clark as a goaltending coach. He, he helped me so much, made me so much better that year. Same um, boat, from- man. From the start of the year to the end of the year, it was, you know, we got in at the start and I struggled at the end in Colorado. And he's like, this is goalie school this year. You're going to play some games, but we're going to, we're going to work on stuff. We're going to get better. And this is going to be goalie school. And uh, it, it all clicked right at the start of right around Christmas. Uh, it, it all fell into place. I was probably, I don't know, four and four around at that point, you know, like good numbers. We had a great team, the twins, like, Burroughs, Kessler, everybody. You go down the list. We had an awesome team. So that made it fun. Watching Lou every day was fun. The city's amazing. You're in Canada. But but the, the biggest part of that year was just getting better and having it click. All the hard work, all the extra time putting in with Clarky, paying off and really feeling dialed in was was and so yes, I did feel that way again. I hadn't felt it for a long time. And that was the best part of being in Vancouver was feeling dialed in and winning games that that maybe I wouldn't have won prior to make me I can hear Clarkie's voice right now. Razor, we're going to goalie school. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. clear as day in my head. Did you have kids at this point? I just had my son. Do you so, think that helped? Yeah, it didn't hurt. It didn't hurt. Uh, he, uh, so he was born in July 30th. So I came out, I was in Vancouver after the first month I was on my own in that first training camp. So I think just having, I, it, it didn't, it didn't necessarily help just having him. I think as a, as a whole, that group all had kids. That group all were the same as me. They, we all had young kids. Lou had a daughter that was three or four years old. So we were having like birthday parties. My wife was comfortable. He, he, that, it was more that. So I don't know if it would be the same if you're on a team full of single guys and that, you know, my son keeps me out of the loop. This actually having a son, you know, having my guy and my wife there, it kept us in the loop and made us big family type. Like you just talked to like Caber, that's the kind of group we had in Vancouver as well. Having a bunch of Cabers. That's the best feeling when the whole team gets along, you know, cause it's oh. not, it's not just the guys on the ice. If there's problems in the wives room, oh. if there's it's a big worse. mixture of even people, worse. like they all have to get along. And I always made a point of that in my, the teams I played on. I'm like, we need to get everybody together. And we've yeah. got to make this work no matter what and have fun as a group. I mean, did you ever run into that situation where it didn't work in the locker room or in the wives room and it negatively affected things? Not to the, some of the stories we've all heard where it, you know, I was never around for one of the big blowups. Um, I, I went to a couple teams where the blowups had already happened and there was some, certainly some, some shrapnel still out there. 
that that you had to you know this is you know careful here careful there care you know careful with this one telling my wife like this is the lay of the land like this is how it works but basically you can't trust this girl yeah yeah we've all heard that in the locker yeah 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 we we don't we don't don't we're we're not talking too much about this or you know yeah. maybe stay on this side of the room when this person's in there so so there was some of that on a couple of places but overall i was lucky you know again like i said we didn't have any of the the major blow-ups where you literally have guys you know dividing the team um none of that fortunately so what led you to dallas dallas so i came off that good year in vancouver i wanted to stay in vancouver more than anything i wanted Corey Schneider to get traded more than anything. Say you had some guy coming along, right? Yeah. Schneids was there. He was in the minors that whole year I was there and there was lots of talk, you know, he was going to get traded. Obviously Lou had a 12 year contract, 15, 28 year contract, whatever it was. Permanent agreement. (laughs) Yeah. Schneids was on his way out at some point. I was hoping it was that summer and it wasn't. Uh, Vancouver offered me a deal to be there. Um, They were going to give me a full boat to go down the minors and just be there. And, um, I just did, I had a good year. I wanted to, I, and I had the opportunity to go to Dallas and, and again, another, um, great city, great place to live. Uh, my son was now a year. So we, you know, we'd be outside a lot, just a good place that, that worked. And it was a two year deal. So I had a little bit of security there on top of a good team, a group of guys that I knew and, and Kari Lettinen, it was, was a great, is, is, was a great goalie. And, and to be able to, help him out was, was enticing. Kari's easy to play with, isn't he? Oh man. He's the best. He's yeah. the best. Uh, we had a solid month and a half together and that was a lot of fun. Yeah. So laid back. Uh, just a, just a really nice guy. And I don't know about you. He was the most talented guy I played with. Um, Naturally for sure. Not even like Lou is Lou's all the bat, you know, Lou's Lou, but Kari, to watch him make saves on a daily basis in practice was, was artistic. Uh, what he could do and how he could, could move himself was something I envied and, and something I really enjoyed watching. And, and, and to this day, you know, the most talented guy I played with as a partner, no question. How was it having Crawford as a coach? I mean, you're both from Belleville. Did he yeah. take it easy on you because of that? Was there prior history there? No, yeah, we were good. So I, 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 he pl- I played against his brother, coached against his brother, coached against me all the way through junior. Lou is the Bubble Bulls coach all the way up. So I knew the family. My parents grew up at the same time. So we went to the same. They went to the same high school. Uh, lots of lots of overlap there. Mark had never been in Belleville for as long as I had lived uh, around there, but but certainly knew him. And and yeah, we had a Belleville connection. Mark. You know, Crow could could lose his mind, certainly. Uh, expected a lot. He had Patrick Waugh, so he yeah. expected a lot out of his goalies. But but no, he never he, – you know, I had a pretty good season that year. He never never flipped out on me. Did you have any coaches that you could really look at and go, this guy's just a goalie hater? Like some coaches are pretty Mike sympathetic Keenan, to goalies. Right? I mean, Mike Keenan, that was, that's an easy one. Mike Keenan. Uh, Mike Keenan pulled me in Madison. It's my first game, Madison Square Garden. He pulled me. 13 minutes into the game i had one goal against on eight shots he and he yanked me. you he yanked me on the goal i gave up one goal in madison square garden first game there against the rangers he pulled me on like a sunday afternoon so he did hated he, bullies did he say anything about it to you oh no 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 like <laughs> i he's like i think like so my i think my agent like he called like just like is everything okay like you know not even like to, to i was 20 so i couldn't say anything anyways and it was like nah he just just felt like you didn't have it. 
Wow. <laughs> like, all right. Seat of the pants, go- seat of the pants coaching. So, I mean, you had the unfortunate, I don't even know how to describe this, the right words for it, but you went through two lockouts and you would have gone through a second one in 12, 13. You, you went to Italy. Did, was that lockout really the reason why you went overseas again? I mean, I know you went to the American League the year before, but were you, were you looking to reinvent yourself in Europe? Were you looking to play it out? Were you hoping that the NHL was coming back? You get another crack. Where were you at at that point? I was mostly done, mostly burnt out, wanted to go to Europe. Like my, my wife was pregnant with twins again. So I knew I didn't have too much longer moving around. Uh, I'd had a good run. Uh, it was fun. I had an opportunity to sign with a team and be the third guy, but the lockout played a part in that. I didn't want to go and get stuck um, being just in the minors and having no motivation. And, and basically the way I looked at it was burning a year of an opportunity to go to Europe, to yeah. be honest. So I wasn't, I was 34. So it wasn't like I could really go and go to the minors and, you know, I wasn't going to be Dwayne Rolison and play till 43. Right. And that's, yeah. that's what you did and, and turn it around. I, I didn't feel like I had that in me and had the NHL season been going on and had I been able to catch an injury break right away and get myself back, I, I I'm sure I would have stayed, but knowing the lockout was going to be at least Christmas, which it ended up being, that would have been four months of just being in the minors and, and not really having a good clear on. So I went to Italy, uh, had a chance to live downtown Milan. It was a perfect way to kind of decompress and, and see the world and, and still play hockey a little bit. That's all I'd heard about Italy is how much fun it is. Like it's not exactly a place you go if you're trying to keep your career going. It's got, no. it's kind of got the reputation of where careers die, but you yeah. have a hell of a time while your career is dying. That's right. And, and it's funny though, because a few of the goal, like the goalies have actually been able to go over and, and, parlay it into one more year so for me i went to sweden uh the same time justin pogi was there he went from italy to sweden and then he went up to the top league you know like he stayed in the top league in sweden for three or four years because he was in italy first and chris mason mace went over the year after i was there because he called like hey what's the deal i'm like it's a blast i mean you're playing hockey that doesn't resemble hockey but (laughs) it's it's a blast and he turned that into another year in germany so for the goalies they they, they're able to kind of move from there but but no at the time it was just a blast it's you know you're you're on buses to going up into the alps and uh some so you know the first line's decent hockey and then after that it it drops off considerably but i had a black you know living in milano we had fans that were crazy it was it was a cool european experience after the year in Sweden, were you ready? Were you content in making your decision and walking away on your terms? Yeah, I was done at Christmas. So I, I, I played, I was grinding up until then, um, really working hard. I, I tr- you know, was really excited um, being up there. And then we realized right around Christmas, it was, you know, my family came over, my wife's family came over and it's like, my son was four then, I believe. It's like, what, you know, I can't keep doing this to everybody else. Um, so right after Christmas, I knew that that, that was it, um, that this was going to be my last couple of months, and, and which was, you know, a little sad. But at the same time, I was, I was, I was completely at peace with it. Like I said, it was, it was pretty sad sit looking at the two of me, you know, my wife and I looking at each other at Christmas and knowing what we were missing back home and for what we were giving up, we weren't. Right. You know, she definitely wasn't getting in return and, and, and it turned out I wasn't either. 
Yeah, I felt the same way. And I got to know when my last game was, which was the coolest thing. You know, I, I got to plan for it. My parents flew in, my daughters were there. And it turned out being my last game is one of my favorite memories, not a sad memory in any way. You know, it, it helps that we won in a shootout and I stopped yep. everything in the shootout. But did you kind of get to have a similar experience for your last game? I did. It was a little different in that we ended up saw that the team that I was on had moved up from relegation the year before. So there's still relegation there. So we ended up in the relegation tournament again. We, you know, we didn't have enough pieces. We get to the end. So my last game, we had to win to keep the team in, in the sec, in the oh, great. It's your last game and you've got pressure on you. And we had at the last three games, actually, I, I we won all three. Um, we, we started out relegation really poor, a couple of tough, like one, nothing losses. We ended up winning two on the road. And then we had this last game, whoever wins goes through. We, I think we could have tied. Um, but then, so at your full barn, like that was like, it was, so to your point, like another great light way to finish, it was, you know, kind of silly that it's a relegation game in Sweden was my last game, but, uh, it's, I remember it, the fans were all on the ice after the game and, everyone's happy. Everyone knows I'm done playing. So all the guys on the team are getting a kick out of it and they all get to keep their jobs. You know, they get, to <laughs> so it was, uh, it was, it, it wasn't, I wasn't winning a Stanley cup, but all the guys that I still talk to there, uh, make sure to remind me that it don't, don't just slough it off. It meant to a lot, meant a lot to a lot of people to, to, to play well and, and win that game. I had the same thoughts, you know, it's like short of winning a Stanley cup or a championship at any level, walking off the ice a winner surrounded by your fam friends, family, you know, a couple guys bought me a couple bottles of wine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. You know, like that's as good as it can. I mean, yeah. you know, it could be a hundred times worse. How'd you fill your time until you got the gig uh, as an analyst? So I, we had twins that were one years old. So I, I turned into a bit of a nanny. Um, this is 2014 and we're 2020 now, 2021. Now. Lack, lack of better word. Yeah. So I started out with that and um, bounced around. I've, I've, done, I've taken a few real jobs. I've got my real estate license, uh, trying to find my way in the real world. And being in Boston, I, I, I went to China. Um, they, they, they've been bringing people over up until this past summer. I was on the first trip just to, to build the game over there. The Bruins have a sponsor or, you know, we go over, do the sponsor stuff, do some camps. And that got me back into it. We, and then from there, I started doing learn to play with the Bruins. And then I started doing alumni games with the Bruins. And then Nesson's right there. Why don't you come in and, and we need a third guy. Why don't you come and rehearse? And uh, I just started liking it. I, I didn't expect to get back in. Certainly with Boston, I hadn't been in Boston for, what, 10 years at that point. Um, Did so you almost feel forgotten in Boston in a way? Oh yeah. A thousand percent. I, especially they won the cup in 2011, uh, completely forgotten, completely forgotten. I've been coming back every summer. I was down on the Cape. I was around, but no one, no one cares. If you're not right. a Bruin in Boston, it doesn't matter. You don't play. You know, like they don't even know there's an any, any other teams in the NHL. Even if you're a Bruin in Boston, they want to run you out of town anyway. If you're well, that, a yeah, that, that's, that's true too, especially in 06. Uh, so no, completely just, just started putting it together. And then the TV thing I, I wasn't sure on either. And, and I've learned to love it. I, I, I've, it's not the easiest thing. Like, you know, it's not easy. Uh, it, it does require some skill. It requires some practice. And, and I've uh, recognized that 
I am a creature of that nighttime game and getting out of the house and getting home late. And I, I that's, that's what I know. And uh, I think I try to fight that maybe a little and trying to get into the nine to five grind, but uh, you recognize it's not for me. Do you still take a nap before games? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I get good sleep at night. I'm, I'm old and I'm over 40 now. So I get up early and uh, all that stuff. I, I wish I could take more now. Uh, no, I, I, I mean, I love my nap, but, but no, I, fortunately I don't need it nearly as much. So before they stuck you on TV, did you have any training at all? Or was no. it just t- tossing? It's it, same thing. It's they're just tossing you in the deep end without water wings and you're yeah. trying to swim. Yeah. And it, it's, it's difficult. Uh, you, I'm sure you're the same. I asked a lot of questions. You just, well, we you want just, feedback. We're goalies. Yeah, exactly. No, like we crave I, feedback. I want like the worst feedback possible. Right. Yes. Like, give me, give it to me. And, and that's it. We've, we're at that, you know, I get that now. And, and that's, it's, you know, and because we're goalies, we're smart enough to, to, to actually take it and use it properly. Uh, take notes, figure it out, think about it. Don't do it again. Uh, so, so, you know, being able to apply all of that, it has been fun and we're just trying to keep, keep getting better and keep doing it more precisely. That's what made me realize right away when I started doing it, I was like, you know what? I, I spent a career making decisions in microseconds, right? Like that's what we do as goalies. We can process information very, very quickly. And it's almost frustrating when you don't get instant feedback, you know, as a goalie, you have instant gratification in a game. You make a great save, you win the game, you know, you feel good. You did your job. It's not the same way on television. It's not instant gratification, right? There's no metric for whether you're doing good or bad. Have you found that to be kind of difficult to wrap your head around? Yeah, you'll get, I'm sure you'll get off set and be like, yeah, that was just okay. You know, and then some of the, yeah, great job out there. That was, that was really cool. Really good insight. All right. I I didn't feel that, you know, I, and then there's probably, and so there's probably, so then of course, as a goalie, I, you know, I go the other way. All right. All the times that I thought I was doing really well, maybe I'm missing the mark on this. Yep. All right. So, so, but you also can't keep asking like, is that okay? You don't want to be the little puppy dog saying, you know, am I doing okay? Am I doing okay? Am I doing okay? So I I'm, I'm getting to the point now I feel confident. And I think once I, you know, you kind of hit that, I, I don't know how many games it was for you, but for me, you know, maybe a dozen games where it's like, all right, I'm over this hill of worrying about it. Now I just go and then you, I've accelerated. I feel like since then just letting go and, and, you know, just talking about what you see. It's kind of the same way. As long as you're having fun, you know, it helps when you're really enjoying everybody around you too. Like just that feeling on set where you feel like, yeah, man, we're really vibing right now. You're laughing, you're loose and comfortable. I was so tight at first. I would, yeah, exactly. And that, and that's why you get that, that exponential growth right away when you let go of all that stuff. And for me, I, I was so yeah. t- to your point, so tight. Like, all right, I'm in Boston now too. I don't want to rip anybody. Like I'm just back. I, I don't feel that. Confident. You don't want to give your own opinion, honestly. Like no. you have to learn how to give your opinion in a way that doesn't punish or bury somebody. No, I know. And it's not easy. Yeah, man, this is fun. I can't wait for us to compare notes when hopefully eventually the league gets back to normal and we can talk Bruins and Golden Knights and compare and go over everything. Well, thank, thank you so much for t- spending an hour today. This was awesome to talk to. Well, somebody, I, I can't imagine how many games I backed up against you. I definitely never played, but uh, I, I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time today. Oh, Mike, it was a pleasure. Good, good meeting you over this and, and look forward to seeing you in the future. Big thanks to Andrew Raycroft for coming on, telling his story. 
Just give us some insight into what it was like to have a long NHL career, transition out of the game, get his current job in broadcasting. Kind of sounds familiar. Listen, if you enjoy Six Degrees, please subscribe and rate in iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to all your podcasts. If you're interested in advertising on Six Degrees, please contact Believe at BLEAV.com. And as always, you can find me at Mike McKenna56 on all the socials. Thanks for listening to Six Degrees with Mike McKenna. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.